All right, it's episode 27, Pain Points of Wealth, and the economy is about to run hot, and tech is not. Technology shares have been wavering here as the market goes up and up and up every single week. Inflation's kicking in, interest rates are going up, oil prices are going up, lots going on in the market. We're going to break it down for you today. We're going to talk about what we see in the future when it comes to the economy, the stock market, how to invest your money, and we're going to talk about the financial services industry. Yes. There's lots of charlatans in our industry. I'm sure you're shocked. We're going to break down some of the warning signs or things to watch out for when you're getting advice from the financial services industry so you can make the best decisions about your money. It's going to be a great show. Start the music. Welcome to the Pain Points of Wealth, the podcast that addresses the pain points that come with creating, growing, and sustaining your wealth giving you a multi-generational perspective from three pains in a pod. Bob Payne, the boomer, Chris Payne, the millennial, and Ryan Payne, the generation somewhere in between. Hey, Ryan, I'll tell you what, it's like a surprise birthday party every day. The news is better on every economic number. The portfolio is doing great as long as you're not concentrated in tech. Isn't it nice, Chris, to see a little rotation into other areas of the market? Well, I feel really vindicated since we've been really been saying that since this whole thing began. Yeah, I mean, we've definitely been spot on. Give us some props here. Bob, I like what you used to say that. It's like every day is like Christmas. <laughs> I don't think I've been in a raging bull market like this where every day you know something comes out, new news that's been just positive news, whether it's vaccine news, whether it's the fact the government's going to sprinkle, I think sprinkle is probably an understatement, even more money on the economy. And if you look at consumers, you look at Americans right now, we're sitting with like insane levels of cash, you know, something like $1.8 trillion sitting in cash right now. And Americans are paying down debt. They're being responsible with their money. And everyone's just chomping at the bit for later this year. And we've talked about this like at nauseum, but like, man, people are going to spend money. They're going to go crazy. And the economy is just going to run hot, hot, hot here. Well, you know, guys, as I always say, in a secular bull market, all the surprises come on the upside. And that's exactly what's going on right now. And I don't blame anyone for being surprised because even companies are surprised by how voracious this rally has been, how quickly the economy is recovering. I mean, you order a couch right now or a rug or a golf club, it's four to six months out before you can get it. Yeah, as a matter of fact, one of my clients, unfortunately, last summer had a tree fall in their house and they've been trying to get their house rehab, but it's been really difficult because they haven't been able to get access to things like lumber, things like wall coverings. It's just been really difficult just as a result of there's been so much demand for these things. I mean, the housing market's booming. I mean, there's a shortage of houses. Can you believe that? And then when they build these houses, now they have these clauses that, well, it might cost X more because lumber is going up every day or you know, it's costing us more in oil to bring our trucks to the job site. It's amazing. People are walking away from contracts because the initial estimate is not even close to what the cost of the house is on completion. You know what, guys? I was in Cape May over the weekend, and just for fun, we went on Zillow to see what was available. And not only was there like very little inventory, but everything that was for sale was about 50 to 60% more expensive than it was a year ago. Wow. That's huge. You know, the crazy thing for me is in the last 20 years, we've really never seen anything like this, right? We've never seen a situation where you have too many dollars chasing too few goods. And that's like basically the definition of inflation. We have this crazy imbalance right now where supplies are limited, and that's only going to get exacerbated later this year when we can actually spend some real money. Because still, I mean, people are slightly locked down right now. Well, here's a question I have for everybody right now. Do you feel wealthy? Well, you should because total household net worth 
when you combine housing, you know, your home, your business, your portfolio, it's up $14 trillion from the end of 2019, guys. $14 trillion, that's with a T. So now I feel richer. I'm paying down my debt, right? Which is like the most un-American thing ever. People are actually being fiscally responsible. And you know, I'm imagining like what the summer's going to look like, what the end of the year is going to look like, and all the places I can go. I mean, this is the definition of a red hot economy, and it's all right in front of us, guys. Like, it's going to be crazy. Or we're going to party like the '80s. Well, so here's some even more positive news. All my clients that I've talked to that are older than 65 have had at least their first COVID shot, and they're scheduled to get their second one really soon. So, you know, more and more people are becoming vaccinated every day. Not to mention, you know, J and J just came out with their vaccine, so. You know, it's really going to have a compounding effect as the economy is probably going to reopen a lot quicker than we anticipated. Yeah, anecdotally, Chris, you know, all my friends are over 65. So every single person I know has gotten at least their initial shot. Actually, I got my booster this week, so I'm uh, fully vaccinated. And I think what's going to happen, I think what's happening now is the market is anticipating that we're going to have herd immunity much sooner than anybody you know, the pundits, for example, have predicted. Right. And the one thing you're hearing over and over every week now is inflation, right? And inflation, the th- if you're seeing interest rates go up, you're seeing prices go up. We just talked about lumber's up 50% this year because there's so much demand for housing. You're seeing things like copper, which is an industrial metal. Demand in China is huge right now. And these are all indicative of the fact things are going to cost more in the future. And the question I'm invariably getting, guys, is like, oh, how do we play inflation? Should I get my money out of the market because inflation's coming? And no, <laughs> you, know, you need stocks. Stocks are inherently one of the best inflation hedges. No matter what they tell you in those Reddit chats that Bitcoin's an inflation hedge, it's not. But stocks, you need to have stocks because that's one of the only ways to really combat the fact that things are going to cost more in the future. And they're going to cost a lot more in the future based on the way we're going right now. Well, that's a gigantic wake-up call for all of you, because if you have stocks, God bless you, you're doing great. You own bonds right now, not so good. You know, you look at the 10-year treasury briefly, just hit 1.6%. I mean, that's nothing when you think about it. 1.6% is hardly a big yield. But you look at the 20-year ETF or 20-year treasury bonds, they're down 12% year-to-date. So if you have long-dated bonds, you have bond funds, you better run. It's a wake-up call. Two biggest mistakes that we see right now, and we look at probably about 50 portfolios every month. I mean, we literally see every strategy out there is you probably have an over-concentration in large-cap US stocks. Like I hear this all the time anecdotally, like, hey, Ryan, you can just own Apple here, right? Apple's a great company. Yes, Apple's a great company. Amazon's a great company. Facebook's a great company, but they just had their day in the sun. And their earnings last year, they made so much money it's going to be hard to beat that moving forward. And what I think you have to realize with your portfolio is, is the market cares about whose earnings or whose profits are growing the fastest. And those stocks are probably not going to grow as fast anymore because it's the law of big numbers. They've already grown so much that you've got to start looking at where the profits are going to grow the fastest. And that's going to be in a lot of old school stocks versus new school stocks, which we've talked about a lot on the show. Well, I think the bottom line is that we all like a discount. And that applies to everything except in our own investment portfolio. So, you know, the thing we have to really have to look at here is what's really trading at the cheapest right now. Where can we get the biggest bang for our buck? You know, you're absolutely right. A lot of you think there's no stocks left to buy. So there's been 120 of these SPACs created, right? What is a SPAC anyway? Yeah, I mean, SPAC is just an acronym for special purpose acquisition company. And essentially, they call these blank check companies. And the reason they call them that is because you buy it, it's a shell company. It has cash sitting inside this shell, and then they go out and look for deals to buy. 
And the funny thing about this is, of course, the fees on these things are astronomical. You basically had Charlie Munger, who one of the greatest investors of our generation, saying it's you know basically a BS investment that Wall Street tries to push on the public. And that's basically what it is. It's tons of fees. You don't know what you're going to buy initially. So you're just hoping they're going to buy something. And typically, it's going to be very expensive and something that has no profits. That's the whole point, right? You look what's out there that is still a good place to invest. You look at value stocks or selling at a lower valuation than growth stocks. You look at international is selling at a lower valuation versus US stocks. And in the past, these are companies and investments that have outperformed dramatically, but people don't want to invest in special priced investment opportunities. They want to overpay. It's crazy. And you know, to quote Rich Bernstein, Dad, we should be buying SPACs in terms of this acronym, Stronger Profits at Attractive Costs. Chris, you nailed it. I mean, when you think about it, it's so much easier to buy something that's already up. The other day, I know a client called us and said, oh, I want to be in the ARC portfolio. The ARC portfolio, why? It's up 189% over the last 12 months. Yeah, that means it's already done. It's not going to go up 189% over the next 12 months. Actually, since some of you have invested in those, they're down about 10, 12%. Well, it just comes down to the market is a market, right? And it's the only market, and I've talked about this before, in the world where rationality goes out the window. Because if I go to a store and I see something's on sale, I'm more likely to buy it. But if you told me that this HDTV that I want to buy is going up by 100% in price, you know, you would probably be less likely to buy that TV or I would be less likely to buy that TV. But when we get to the stock market, because of the fact the prices trade every second of the day, our brain chemistry basically changes. You know, we see things going up big percentage-wise and we think that's a good place to be, but you would never use that rationale with any other marketplace in the world. And it's remarkable because the same laws apply, right? When things go on sale, it's better value. When things go up in price dramatically, it's less value, but for some reason we just don't equate that when we're invested in the stock market. Hey guys, you know what I think a lot of you don't understand is that we handle 2000 households. So we have a pretty good idea of how investors think, what they're projecting, you know, where their interest is. And I just went through our call blotters from two years ago. We didn't have one call about investing in Bitcoin. We didn't have one call about buying Tesla. We didn't have one call about buying innovation and disruption. But I looked over the last two weeks and almost every call was, should I buy Bitcoin here? Should I be buying Tesla? Should I put my money in the ARK funds? So I know it's counterintuitive. We like to see something that's moving and say, oh, that's where I need to be. But that's not how you make money in the market. It's buying low, everybody. It's buying low. It's buying low. Hey, I hope you're enjoying the content today and you find it valuable. If you like our content, you love our content, please go ahead and subscribe. Don't be shy. Leave a comment. Let us know what you want us to talk about or put a like in the like box, depending on where you're seeing this show. All right, guys, it's the tipping point. We pinpoint the pain point having the biggest impact on your wealth right now. So Bob and Chris, there's no getting around it. There's a lot of charlatans in the financial services industry. So I thought we could discuss some of the red flags to be aware of when receiving advice from people in our industry. Well, here's the thing. You know, you would think that if someone was dishonest or they pulled the wool over somebody's eyes in the past, our industry would be smart enough to kick them out, but they don't. And if you're wondering about your advisor, all you have to do is go to the FINRA site, F-N-R-A, F-I-N-R-A, and look at broker check. I went up the other day from one of the clients that came in as a result of this podcast, and we pulled up their advisor on advisor check, and it had 16 dings on their U4. Now, you guys know what that means. Yeah, no, basically the U4 tells you how clean your record is. It's your record as an advisor. And I think that's something you should always look at when looking to work with a financial advisor is what does their history look like? What does a U4 look like? And to your point, Bob, that's public information. So you can find that out. 
And it's just such a low hurdle to become a financial advisor. I hate to say it, that it attracts many, many people, even if they're not that qualified. And Chris, like we know that you know, you, it doesn't matter if you sell insurance, if you sell financial products, you can be a quote unquote financial advisor. Yeah, there's a definitely inherent conflict of interest in that statement, Ryan, and the fact that financial advisor would make you think of someone that is unbiased, making the best possible decisions for you. But the reality is, in a lot of cases, a lot of these advisors are just glorified product salespersons, salespeople. Is it surprising to anyone that the government wanted to enforce the fiduciary rule? In other words, they wanted every financial advisor who has that title to put your interest, the client's interest first, but the big banks, the big wirehouses, the big insurance companies fought it tooth and nail so that the only true fiduciary out there is someone who doesn't work for those organizations. You know, it doesn't surprise me. They want to put their interest first. Surprise, surprise. It's amazing, right? The lobbyist group, the lobbying groups are so powerful that they're actually able to say, no, we don't want to be a fiduciary. We don't want to have to act in people's best interest. And they don't. <laughs> it's amazing. And we come from the big banks, so we know what it looks like on the other side. And it's not like it's, like it's a terrible model. It's just an out-of-date model, right? I mean, you get incentivized to sell products. And when it comes to financial planning and it comes to your financial health and assessing that, it really shouldn't be product-based. It should be what we call goal-based. And the problem is a lot of our industry is still just looking to sell you something that you put in your portfolio. And we talk about this a lot. You end up with what we call a collection of investments. Well, here's the asset test, guys. All you have to do is ask for your advisor to show their statement of what they own and what they invest in. I guarantee if they're not a fiduciary, they're not buying the high-cost products they're shoving into your account like annuities and mutual funds and special investments. Well, you know, my clients are always shocked when they ask, Chris, what do you invest in? And I say, I invest in the exact same things you do. And their response is always like, no, you don't. You know, you probably take all kinds of risk. You probably pick stocks. And my response is, you know what? I couldn't pick a stock if it hit me hit dead in the nose. That's good to know, Chris. I'm not going to let you manage my account. No, but in all seriousness, I mean, we all have our cowboy money per se, right? I have my account I like to speculate in, but it is kind of cool when you're talking to your client or someone you, we work with and they're like, oh, what do you own? I'm like, I own what you own. You know, like if it's good enough for my family, it's good enough for your family. And that's the nice thing about being a fiduciary is by law, you have to act in your client's best interest. But why wouldn't you, right? It's like we're doing all this research and we're putting all this time into thinking what the best model is ever. So, of course, that's what we're going to own and that's what we want to own for everybody. It's just like you want everyone's motives aligned. And I think that's what the fiduciary is about. And you just got to really understand that's something you have to be aware of. Is this person on the same side of the court as me or not? Well, that's the asset test right there, right? That's really the whole point. You know, I'm the chief investment officer. So I invest 100% in everything we recommend to our clients. But as a fiduciary, I can't front run my clients. In other words, we have to let every client know when we're taking money out of growth, like we did in the fall, and investing in value. And I'm sitting here watching the valuations go out of whack and I'm panicking, but I can't do anything because we had to wait till every client's notified. That's what a true fiduciary is someone who doesn't put their interest ahead of yours. Yeah, I think the simple equation is new school versus old school. Old school is I'm not a fiduciary. New school is I am a fiduciary. And just ask the advisor you're working with, are you a fiduciary? It's a simple yes or no answer that you'll get on that. The other thing our industry is just so guilty of is talking with so much technical jargon. Like How many times have you heard, man, oh man, my advisor just says all this complicated stuff. They sound so, so smart, but I have no idea what they're talking about. Every new client that I've ever worked with have always said the same thing. I don't understand what I own. I don't understand why I own it. And when I ask my advisor, they either brush me off or they use some technical explanation that makes me even more confused. 
why I love the advisors in our industry, Chris, because you know, when I, as an investor, I can handle news. I can handle good news. I can handle bad news. You know what I can't handle? No news. And the number one reason people transfer their business to us is because their advisor never calls them unless they want to sell them something. Yeah. And the truth is, your advisor should be calling you to update your financial plan. You know, talk about things like when do you want to retire? When do you want to be financially free? How do you do that? Right. That's what we're all trying to solve for here is financial independence and having a strategy to get to financial independence. If you're not working with someone who can articulate that, like that's a big problem. <laughs> you know, it's like you want to be working with a financial advisor because someone's actually advising you on your finances. And that's like everything from how my investment strategy is tied into my goals to should I refinance my mortgage? What should I be doing with my estate plan? What kind of insurances should I have? Like you need somebody who's looking at all those things. That's what a financial planner or advisor should be doing. Well, you know what, guys, when I do my annual reviews with my clients, I go through ad nauseum everything that they own and I tie it to exactly why they own it and what it does to help them achieve their goals. And a lot of times I get the response, well, Chris, you know, you worry about this stuff. It's too confusing to me, but I don't accept that. It's more important for me, for my clients to understand exactly what they own and why they own it. Now, if you have an advisor who spends more time talking than listening, chances are they're not a fiduciary. And chances are they don't really understand risk, at least risk in your perspective. And risk is basically the possibility of loss, damage, or injury. Now, I don't want any of those things when it comes to my portfolio. And if it's not connected to what my goals are in a financial plan, chances are you have the wrong portfolio, especially for this environment. Yeah. And I go back to what you just said, Bob, about talking too much. Like, I think a good financial wingman or wingwoman is someone who does a lot of listening. (laughs) You know, it's like, I always talk about our offices and before pandemic, how people sit on the couch and it feels like almost a therapy session, but it is kind of like financial therapy. You want someone that you can actually articulate how you feel, express what your fears are, and someone who can actually address those fears as opposed to just talking, 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 financial jargon. All of a sudden, you have some products in your portfolio. You don't really understand what you own, but you think this person probably knows what they're talking about. And to me, that's like that's not the kind of relationship that you want. You want someone who's giving you solutions, who's listening to your problems, coming up with ways for you to get to that proverbial, again, financial independence. And I think that's very rare in our industry, actually. You know, guys, making money is not a financial goal. So if your portfolio is making money right now, well, kudos, the market's going up. But if your advisor doesn't have a strategy for managing risk, then you're like 90% of everyone I've ever met. You're taking more risk than necessary to achieve your goals. Why would you want to do that? Bob, Chris, and I have now spent a collective 70 years helping individuals just like you with their planning and investing. This is literally what we do every single day. Everything we teach you here on this podcast, along with some due diligence of your own, can help you get ahead financially at any stage of your journey. But if you have over $500,000, and you want a more hands-on approach and guidance, you can apply for a free financial review. Simply go to www.paincm.com slash financial plan or click the link below. We can put together a full audit of your investments, the fees you're paying, tax optimization, and a complete savings and income plan to ensure you're on the right path to achieving financial independence. Simply go to www.paincm.com slash financial plan to see if you qualify for a free financial review. Hey, I hope you're enjoying this episode of Pain Points of Wealth. If you really dig our content, don't be shy. Click on that like button. Go ahead and subscribe. You can also sign up and have our podcast delivered to your inbox every single week. And if you have a comment, question, put it in the comment section. Leave a comment. Let us know what you think or any topics you want us to talk about. 
The hidden facts of finance, gentlemen. Random financial facts that may surprise or even shock you. All right, Bob. The 181 million Direxian Moonshot Innovators ETF, ticker is Moon, by the way, holds just 50 stocks. It's not actively managed, but instead the index tracks natural language processing to review companies, filings, identifying innovation-related remarks. The fund's up 34% this year. Maybe we should just put all our money there. Well, maybe we should, Rye, but you know, the last I checked, all markets revert to the mean. In other words, this strategy, you have to ask yourself, it's outperforming dramatically. Are they lucky or are they smart? I'm thinking about if I want to watch something about the moon, I'm going to watch Apple's TV show right now for all mankind. That's more entertaining and probably less dangerous to your financial health. You might find this hard to believe, Bob, but I can tell by the cadence of your voice, whether you're bullish or you're actually bearish on the market right now. I know it's crazy. I should come up with a fund that uses that strategy. You must have had an AI plant implant in your brain, right? <laughs> At birth. Chris, clean power sources such as wind and solar are projected to provide 39% of the US utility industry's generating capacity versus 13% today. On the other hand, coal is forecasted to account for just 3% versus 19% of all energy generated from utilities. Well, who says you can't be both green and profitable? So utility, traditional utilities are cheap right now, but they're also investing in things like green energy, thinking about the future. So if you can get them cheap, you can also be green. That's going to lead to better profit margins. I like the idea that you can buy old school utilities here, and it's actually an alternative energy play as opposed to buying some of these alternative energy stocks, which have already been shot to the moon, as they say right now. Bob, the US share of the global stock market is fast approaching 60% near the record levels of 2000. Furthermore, technology-related sectors now make up more than half of the total S&P 500 market cap, the first time since 2000 as well. Well, Ra, you know what? Right now we have the US markets have been leading for the last 10 years because tech has dominated in terms of growth. But that was when we had a profits recession. We're now going into a profit acceleration. The business cycle has not been repealed and the focus should be on non-tech stocks. And guess what does better when there's non-tech leading the market? International companies, emerging markets, China, India, Latin America, Europe. And those stocks are cheap. They pay a higher dividend. And I guess is they're going to do a lot better, just like they have been so far this year. Sounds like it's time to diversify your money. And just owning U.S. large cap stocks is basically just owning technology stocks, which again, is kind of played out here you got to start rotating your money into other sectors. Chris, dividends globally this year are projected for a 5% overall increase in payouts helped by more special dividends. Well, you know what, Ryan? Since the beginning of the pandemic, you and dad and I have been saying that all the surprises are going to come in the positive. And that's the same case here with surprise cash flow. Yeah. The other thing too, is if inflation's kicking in, cost of living is going to go up, things are going to cost more. That's why stocks are a great place to be because their cash flow goes up as well. So if you want to keep up with inflation, you want an increasing cash flow investment. Hence, you want to own stocks here. Bob, the extremely hot ARK family of ETFs or exchange-traded funds, five out of seven of their funds returned more than 100% last year, which is actually crazy, and has attracted so much hot money because folks are just rushing into what we call, quote-unquote, sure thing. However, as soon as the shares falter and mass selling ensues, as we saw two weeks ago, the ARK fund saw a billion in outflows in two days as their shares started to fall. Hey, Rye, you know, the market, when you look at the stock market, it's a market of stocks, right? Some stocks are hotter than others, but it's just like the tide. When the tide comes in, money flows into what's hot. But when the tide goes out, 
as Warren Buffett always says, you get to see who's swimming naked. And guess what? There's a lot of nudists out there right now just waiting to be exposed. Well, the other thing too, as a reminder, is the bigger the returns, the more risk. So if something can go up 100%, there's no reason it can't go down 80, 90% as well. And it's something to, to your point, Bob, to remember when the tide's going out, some of this stuff is going to sell off hard. The big lesson of the day, guys, all markets revert to the mean. Well said. And a great place to end the show. Well, great show today. Hope you enjoyed the content. And again, if you like our content, you love our content, please take some time to subscribe. You can have our podcast delivered to your inbox every single week. Leave a comment below, like our content, like our podcast. We'll like you. Have a great week. And as always, stay loose and keep an open mind. Thanks for listening to The Pain Points of Wealth. Hopefully, you found the ideas discussed in this episode valuable and useful for your own financial journey. You can find out more about Bob, Brian, and Chris's firm, Payne Capital Management, at bebullish.com or through the contact information found in the description of this episode in your podcast player or app. Join us next week for another episode of The Pain Points of Wealth, brought to you by Payne Capital Management. Information provided on today's show is provided for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. Music